0: Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit roxboroughchurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Here we go. Father God, I believe that you still have words for us today. And I believe, God, that you're going to encourage us in our marriages. You're going to move us into places of of repentance and confession with one another. God, you're going to heal relationships, Lord. You're going to restore uh, hope for individuals, God. I believe that you're going to, set people free to to say yes to you in ways they haven't felt free to say yes to you before this, God. And as you're doing all that, God, I recognize that uh, that some of us in our midst here today might be like, Lord, I'm just overwhelmed by hearing about money today. So God, let that not be the center. Let the central question be, have I yielded my heart to Jesus? Am I trusting him with all that I have? Am I obedient to what he's asking of me? So Lord, we celebrate you as you prepare our hearts to receive the word. May everything I say be pleasing to you. May the way it's communicated be clear. May the invitation be present. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you a couple of questions as I set the stage for us. The first question is, what's the hardest, most difficult relationship that you are a part of right now what's the hardest or most difficult relationship you're a part of right now now if you're wise whatever you're going to say out loud you'll think about that when you think about who you're sitting next to okay so like if you're sitting next to your spouse yelling out <laughs> marriage not not a great idea not a great idea. The elbows are pointy, you know what I mean? Like, not a great idea. But if we're honest, the, the further in in relationship we go with people, the more complex and difficult it becomes. That doesn't mean that it becomes complex and difficult in such a way that we say, I don't want to do that, or I shouldn't do that. But it does mean that the more we allow people past the facade of the exterior, the murkier or the, the, the more complicated it gets. It gets, we get in each other's stuff. Let me get a hand up if you know what I'm talking about. Come on, come on. It doesn't, have to, it doesn't even have to just be in marriage, right? You think about you and your best friend. You're like, man, we're best friends. We don't talk for five weeks and we pick up or right where we left off. You know, but you know, you start hanging out for a whole weekend and you start to hear each other's stuff. And before you know it, like you're carrying one another's burdens and you feel weighed down by that or you got a disagreement and, you know, like in, in big time decisions that are coming up in life or they're making a choice and you think that's bad for them and you just want to be in their stuff with them to help them understand how to do it. The further in you allow people to go. Just gets a little bit, a little bit, a little bit more difficult. Jesus uh, sets us up to understand that specifically around marriage. For those who are just joining us, we're continuing in a sermon series going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We believe that is the greatest sermon ever preached. And so simply retelling the story that Jesus has already told and extracting from it some points for application for us. Today we're in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and going to look at verses 31 and 32 specifically. So you can go ahead and find a Bible and you can turn there and get ready. And while you're doing that, I'm going to point you to a couple of resources. I've got four books up here that I think are um, really uh, profitable for, for the sermon that we're preaching today. And so if what we're talking about today... If uh, if it if it triggers something in you or makes you think want to think about it a little bit more intentionally, I've got four books and resources up here that are specifically written towards marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Right, so this is what Jesus is talking about here, and uh, all four of these uh, are um, are written from Christian persuasion. It kind of sets the stage to help us understand. Some of them give kind of broad views, and then more specifically dial down into the things that you're going to hear me talking about this morning. So I want to encourage you, if you uh, want to grab the titles of these books, they'll be up here. Grab the title of those books and check one of them out later on. You are more than welcome to borrow mine, but you're also more than welcome to grab the information and get yourself a copy. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, let me hear amen if you're there. Okay, some of you are ready. Right, if you didn't say amen, that's just part of our church tradition. We kind of yell out amen when we get to somewhere. It lets us know that we're all moving in the same direction. So Matthew 5, 31, this is what it says. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery adultery. Let that sit with you for a second. As you turn a couple of pages over, find Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to read through some more scripture there. Jesus is going to pick up his teaching on uh, marriage and divorce. Matthew 19 verse 1. Amen when you're there. When Jesus had finished saying these things, He left Galilee and went to the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Verse 2, large crowds followed Him and He healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test Jesus and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, He replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they have become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your heart's were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, "If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry." And Jesus replied, "Not everyone can accept this word, but those who but only those to whom it has been given." So Jesus is continuing this theme of talking about a very practical application. But uh, if you really get to the heart, and that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to look at the heart of what Jesus was saying. Jesus' heart for marriage reveals God's heart for each of us. Jesus' teaching on marriage reveals God's desire for you and for me. So while this message is really going to speak a lot about marriage and divorce, Let me help you understand this is completely applicable to every one of us, no matter what circumstance you're in, because the heart of what Jesus is saying is he is revealing the Father's heart for you and for me. Now, he's going to talk about it from the practical application of marriage, but he reveals the heart of the Father. I'll help us pull that out today for you and for me. Marriage was first instituted by God when he gave Adam the gift of Eve and instructed that the two of them would become one. You know, last night if you were with us, Pastor Charlie over at Wissahickon shared kind of this fun, like, uh, what's it called like when it's a one-person drama? What's that called? A monologue. Thank you. He shared this, uh, this monologue where he just kind of ran back and forth and played every part, and he spoke for Adam, and then spoke for God, and I don't think he spoke for Eve, but that kind of would have been fun to watch him do that too, but kind of went back and forth of, you know, kind of what this conversation was like when God was like, hey, Adam, look what I have for you. Wow, you know, and, uh, and, and that picture, that image, that idea is just just kind of captures the gift that God begins the story with. He begins the story with uh, instituting the first or the original picture of marriage. And if you think through it, one of the things that teases out of that story is that God gifts Adam Eve, but the greatest gift that God gives Adam and Eve is to be present with him. The greatest gift that he gives them is that they get to walk in the garden with him every day. That's why when you get into chapter 2 and then into chapter 3, when, when sin enters the story, the removal is not the relationship between Adam and Eve. It's reimagining the relationship with the perfect God. Because the greatest gift there to be celebrated was this relationship, this direct union they had with God. The union of marriage is meant to be the primary earthly relationship in our life and, and one that endures the test of time. If I asked you to take out a piece of paper and write down the most important relationships to you, you might begin to think of people who you feel really close to. You might, you might think about, you know, kids, and maybe you would think about grandkids, and maybe you would think about, you know, the person on the pew, would you? But the, the, the picture of marriage is God's aligning our, rela- our earthly relationships to be primary before anything else. This primary relationship being our spouse, this gift. I've, I meet with a lot of folks over the years who progressed in marriage and relationship to end up having kids, and then sometimes, you know, even further down the road, end up having grandkids. And one thing that's oftentimes a stumbling block for people is that the marital relationship becomes secondary or tertiary. That's a good word. Secondary or tertiary. I used it right, right? Thank you. Yeah, worked on that one. Because others step into the space. You know, they have kids, and all of a sudden, I know it's, it's, it almost sounds like crazy to say this, but my kids are not in the room, so I can say this. you got to love your kids. you got to love your kids. But when the love for your kid supersedes the love for your spouse, what you're actually doing is is misaligning the gifts the Lord has given you. And as a result, as you misalign them, as as you don't steward those gifts well, friction happens. Sooner or later, you're sitting with somebody and say, I don't understand how we got to this place. You know, we loved our kids so great. Yeah, no, but did you remember to love each other? Probably leads us into another sermon for another day, but the union of marriage is meant to be the primary earthly relationship, and to be one that endures the test of time. For this reason, this is what it says in Genesis chapter 2, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's Genesis uh, chapter 2, 24, right? God's instruction to Adam and Eve as they enjoy this gift of marriage is that all other relationships step behind that, that this becomes the primary fruit-bearing relationship in their life how are we doing so far we okay didn't say anything that threw us off yet right we're all right some of you might have thought all right yeah how do I love my kids and love my wife love my husband how do I work that you can work that out just stay with me stay with me God's love for you is great before I go any further than that that's a hard stop at the end of that statement God's love for you is great. It's greater than whatever you're going to stack up against it. And it's greater than whatever you feel like you might be sitting in right now that is causing the uneasiness in saying, God, where are you? Or God, why aren't you? His love for you, hard stop, is great. Deuteronomy chapter 31. 31.6, he says this. God says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you, and he promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. How many of us have ever had a really hard moment, and in that hard... You didn't have to put your hand up yet. I know we all had a hard moment. But in that hard moment, we've thought for, maybe just for a split second, but we thought to ourselves, God, where are you? Come on, am I the only person who's ever had a moment like that? Ever had a moment? Now, now it was, it, it was probably an irrational moment, because in a rational moment, we would say, I know the God of the universe is ever-present. He's always there. But in that moment, when you were in the depths of what seemed like, you know, arrows, you know, torches being thrown, or, or flame-bearing arrows coming in your, you know what I'm saying? Like, what is that called? Yeah, that thing I said. When you felt like the attack was coming in your direction, you thought to yourself, God, did you leave me out here? Did you leave me out here? Last night, I was, uh, I was at church, and had a great time at church, and, and, uh, and, and my wife had gone out with some ladies after church, and, and so she had, she had left me with the kids, and, and I was pretty certain. It's funny in itself. I get it, okay? But, but I was pretty certain. I, number one, I was pretty certain I could handle this, and number two, I was pretty certain I had a team of people around me that would make sure I handled it, Right? so she had left me with three of my four kids. My fourth child was away with one of his friends, and I, it was time to go, and I'm yelling across the building. I'm like, come on, guys, it's time to go. Somebody help, please, you know, find the kids and bring them back, you know. Like. Anyway, so I, I gathered up my three. I got them in, like, I, you know, they could see me. I could see them. I knew they were in the building, and I was like, okay, we're, we're almost to the point of leaving now, and, uh, and just then, I hear one of, one of the other people from our village, one of the other people from my team, they yell out, where's Isaiah? And internally, I knew Isaiah wasn't with me, because he was at a friend's house. But for a split second, I was like, oh, no, I lost Isaiah. And I, and I started to, like, scramble in my brain. I was like, ah, ah, where are you? Where, you know, I'm looking everywhere, and then i like... Stopped, and I was like, okay, no, no, I'm not responsible for Isaiah in this moment. And I looked over and I was like, I don't think Isaiah is with me, (laughs) and I hope that's okay. But if you find him, bring him home, you know. (laughs) But in an irrational moment, we kind of strike like, where, where, what, what's going on? We feel like the world is falling apart. And if, if we step back in a rational moment, we can say, okay, no, 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 no. It might feel like that. It might be crazy. But it's not true. Isaiah was eating like four slices of pizza and like, you know, like a whole entire bowl of extra Halloween candy at somebody else's house because he wasn't sleeping over there. So they were, you know, feeding him up before they sent him home. So he was in a fine place, but he was not there. He was not with me. I want to say to somebody today, because I think somebody needs to hear this. It might feel like you're alone, but my God is present with you. Whether, Whether it feels like that to you in this moment or not, my God is present with you. And He desires for you to know that, that He will never leave you nor forsake you. God's mercy is so great that there is nothing that can pry us away from the love and the grip of God's grace. Watch this, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demon, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor the depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is found in Jesus Christ. God's grace for you is his mercy for you is so great that whatever you stack up against it will never be able to compare, to tip the scales, to move God away, to move the needle of the heart of the Lord away from you. He has guaranteed you the seal of the Holy Spirit in your life if you have surrendered your life to Jesus. Is the promise. It's the promissory note. It's his signature. It's his brand. It's his marking on you that says, I'm yours forever. No matter what comes our way, I am with you forever. And that's a one sided deal. God makes the claim. Friends, I want to say today that while God promises to be with us forever, God's heart breaks every time one of us step away from those promises we make with our spouse. God hates divorce. He hates divorce. The primary reason why he hates divorce is because of the pain that is created when the relationships of life break down. But let us not be mistaken. God hates divorced. He, divorce. He does not hate the divorced. God hates divorce. He does not hate the divorcee. You might be sitting here today saying, Pastor, if you just knew what I'm going through. And I would say, I don't. He does. He loves you. You say, Pastor, it doesn't feel like I'm loved because it doesn't feel like I'm receiving love at home. It might not, but you are. Malachi chapter 2, if you turn there, Malachi chapter 2, let's go ahead and turn there together. Malachi chapter 2, I didn't prep the guys in the back, but if we could get that on the screen, that would be great too. Malachi 2.10, 2.10, we're going to go 10 to 16, if you have it, if you have it, that'd be great. Malachi the prophet says this in verse starting in verse 10. Let me hear at least one amen so I know we're ready. Amen. Okay, all right. Malachi chapter 2 verse 10 says, Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary, and the Lord loves the the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because no, for he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Not the one the one God made you? You belong to him, in body and spirit. And does the one God and what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God Almighty, does violence to the one he he should protect. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Your version might have said this, I hate divorce, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard, and do not be unfaithful. Friends, I want to help us to make sense of that passage we're reading this morning. But the first step in making sense of that is to say, he loves me. He loves me. Before I can understand What he wants for marriage and what he wants that to look like for me, I have to lead from the premise of saying, God loves me. And if you're sitting in a situation where you say, I've already broken the heart of God, I was in a marriage and it failed. So what does that mean for me now? It means refer back to point one He loves you. He loves you. You're right. When your marriage failed, it broke the heart of God, no matter how dissolved your marriage already was. No matter who was at fault, it was not God's original plan for life. But it doesn't mean you're loved less. He loves you. He loves you. To those who may be in the room who have experienced divorce and you may be wondering, how do I go on? To those who might be in the room today and might be dealing with actions of sexual immorality in your marriage and your relationship and you think to yourself, how do I press forward here? I'm going to try to give you three practical points today that, uh, that, that set us up to go forward. Jesus says that when, when you divorced and remarried, You took on the brand of adultery. So let me speak to you in a true fashion. One, the adulterer must repent. No matter what you've done in life, when you've done anything that doesn't line up with the will and the way of God, the first step is to repent. You've got to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. If two friends of yours that were married came to you and for seeking advice and the one friend said to you, hey, uh, I've been cheating on my husband for six months, what do you think I should do? Well, the first thing you would probably say is you should stop cheating. And the second thing you would probably say after that is got to confess that. you gotta, you got to go and try to figure out how to make it right. So if you're sitting here today and whether you've ever been able to give voice to this before or not, if your marriage did not live forward the direct ways that God would have for it to go, the first step is saying, God, I blew it. God, we blew it. God, she blew it and I'm still with her. God, he blew it. and I'm, God help us. But you got to be able to go before God and say, God, I confess. You see, repentance changes things. Repentance is evidence of your heart's movement. Repentance says that I'm not just saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm turning back to my first love and saying, God, you're the only one who can make this right. You say to yourself, "Well, Pastor Ray, I, I, this this whole thing about adultery, it ain't got nothing to do with me right now. So what does it got to do with this?" So replace the sin. Move it to anything else you want. Talk about your eyes. Talk about what you've been looking at. Talk about your wallet. Talk about where your money's been going. Talk about your mouth when you drive. Right? My kids read. My kids. This I confess. My kids sin to you. My kids this week. Is that bad to do? You can, I'll, I'll see Crawford for. Counseling after this, but my kids this week have been learning about double joint about their fingers being double jointed, right? So a couple of my kids have the ability to lock their fingers. You know, anybody else have this? Everybody's trying it right now. I know. I see. you. I can see you. By the way, you're trying you're trying to see if your fingers lock. Like my left hand, it doesn't happen, but my right hand, I can lock my fingers, right? Like I can lock them, right? I gotta I gotta do that to make them bend again. Does anybody else have that? Anybody? Am I the only person in the room? Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Thank you. Well, so, you know, my kids are kids, right? And so, and that's, that's, that's how we cover up sin, right? So my kids are kids. And so um, they're sitting in the backseat. They're like, hey, Dad, look. Look what I can do with my fingers. They lock. I can lock this one. I can lock this one. You see where we're going, right? And I'm like, look what I can do with my hand. What? I did not do that for whoever's thinking about my parenting, okay? I did not do that. I did not do that. So it doesn't have to be about marriage and adultery. Let's just talk about it honestly. You've got sin in your life. We can talk about my sins, because I got a lot of them, and a lot of them are public. Maybe yours are more private. But the first step in response to the sin in our life is to repent, confessing it to God and saying, God, I need you in this moment. I need you in this moment. I need you in this moment, because I can't do this on my own. Have you allowed the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God to break through the hard exterior of your heart? Have you surrendered to the authority of the Word of God that sets sets you up to understand the right way forward from God? What am I saying? I'm saying confess and wait on the Lord. Step one. Step two. The adulterer now needs to go and seek forgiveness from their spouse. How many people have a hard time saying I'm sorry? Come on, be honest. Be honest. You have a hard time saying I'm sorry. How many people are quick-lipped with sorry? Sorry just rolls off. Just bloop, I'm, I'm good to say I'm sorry. I'm good. How many people just don't know whether they say sorry or not because you didn't raise your hand? Half y'all did not raise your hand for either thing. You're just like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. All right, that's fine. If you have a hard time saying you're sorry, here's the real question. Is it easier to say it to the people closest to you or harder? It's probably harder. Uh-huh. I step on your foot and I don't know you and we're walking down, the, you know, walking in a store and I bump into you. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> if, you're my, if you're somebody I know really well, I'm like, why are you in my way? <laughs> or even if it was my fault, I'm like, why are you in no What you looking at me like that for? we both trying to walk down the same thing. <laughs> if I don't know you, I feel like I should be super apologetic. In the era that we live in today, a lot of couples resort to saying, I'm sorry, via text message. Right? Half of the room was just like, what's a text message? (laughs) And the other half of the room was like, amen, amen. When you go foul, you're like, oh, no, I got to apologize. And you're like, trying to think, you know, you're waiting until you know that, like, he or she is by their phone at work where they can't make a big deal about it. You're like, now. Sorry. But it's true. But what I'm saying is, in order to turn this around, it still requires an action step of saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For whatever that wrong was and however deep that wrong cut, I'm sorry. It's likely that your spouse knew what they were getting into when they settled in with you, it's likely that your spouse understood the responsibility of both being confessional together and being repentant together. And it's even more likely that your spouse will greet you with a response eventually that embraces and offers forgiveness. But friends, forgiveness is still something that you seek first with God and then with others. So if you've gone awry, you've got to come back and say, I'm sorry. And the third step may be the most applicable of all. Together, you have to seek to grow in the Lord. God's perfect plan never included remarriage. It didn't. And it doesn't matter if you're sitting there in a remarriage. It doesn't matter if you're sitting there hoping that someday there will be a remarriage. It never included a remarriage. His perfect plan before sin entered the world is that the two would become one and they would enjoy it. Hard stop. Sin enters the world and life Goes a bit crazy. I believe that Moses instituted a freedom to the people, in part because their hearts were moving away from God. Jesus responds to that freedom by saying, "We can't just we can't just divorce and remarry whenever we want." I didn't like what you wore today. I'm going to go find somebody who's wearing something else. It's not a good idea. I saw a bus go by recently on the back of the bus at $399 for a divorce. Like that, was like that was their advertisement. Somebody thought, like, this would be the great brand, right? Like, we, we, we offer divorces for $400 or less. It cost me $400 for about 20 people to come to our reception. You know, like, for $400 or less, you can get out of it. That's a a crazy idea. And Jesus expressed the heart of the Father when he shared directly. God wants marriage to last forever. It doesn't always. And whenever it doesn't, there's pain involved. But his desire is that it would. All right, let me, let me try to not send us out on that, but let me try to turn us in a way that would allow every one of us to apply to our lives today. I'm going to share these quick five points that will allow us a take home. If you're going to write anything down, write these down. One, let's grant one another the opportunity To extend forgiveness by being honest in all situations, not just our marriage, but in all situations. Everybody look at me real quick. How you doing right here? Right here. These two things, the upper one and the bottom one. How you doing with them? Are you using them in a way to extend forgiveness to others? Are you using them in a way to speak words that give life to people? Or are you using them at times or maybe even a little more often than that in ways that "Mm, I withhold forgiveness from you? I withhold grace from you. I hold you accountable and deem you responsible. I believe the call, the heart of the Father is that we extend. Forgiveness freely. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what Jesus was saying when he was talking to, when he was approached and he was asked about divorce. He was saying, Yeah, Moses allowed you to divorce whenever you wanted for a reason, and you kind of abused that and did it whenever you wanted because your hearts were hard. But if you understood the heart of the Father, you would be someone who forgives, be someone who extends grace. Your heart wasn't hard. Two, let's be people who choose to walk in the light. The light of Christ represents the promises of God that are revealed in Scripture and are purposed for our good. I've been thinking about that a lot this week. You know what's crazy is a lot of times when we think about this book, we think about it as things that say, I can or I can't. But watch this. God thought about this book in such a way that he thought this would be good for us. He thought this would be good for us. God actually, in the realm of wherever it is that God lives, he thought, you know what? I've got this crazy idea. I'm going to give them instructions that they can be obedient to, and it will be good for them. It'll be good for them. I live on the busiest street in Roxborough. It's true. It might only be second to Henry, but... I'm gonna call it the busiest street in Roxborough because it's really good for my pulpit illustration. <laughs> when we moved out here, Michelle had this fear as our kids were very little that one of them would dart out onto the ridge. Other people in the church shared that fear. There was even conversation at one point about like Fort Knoxing this place. You know, like big tall fence out front with like sliding gates to make sure that the kids didn't run out there. Then they saw how much it cost, and we just said, you know, it might be cheaper to have other kids. You know, like, that's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> but recently, we are in, we in the driveway, and we were, we were playing with a big red ball, and we were kicking it around, and you know how this story goes. Somebody kicks the ball, and Dad's supposed to catch it, and, I, and it rolls through my legs, and I'm, at, I'm, I'm on the downside, and I would turn around and show you, but, you know... It'd be an awkward picture for you, and so it rolls to my legs and just goes down the driveway. Y'all with me? You know where it's going, right? It's going right out to the ridge. It's going right out to the ridge, and you know, and I don't run fast. Newsflash. And so my kids do. So I, like every good dad, was like, "Yo, go get that before it gets in the road." <laughs> I couldn't get there in time and I wanted to save the ball. That was like eight dollars. <laughs> and so my you know, little Tommy just running after. And he's running toward the ridge. And all I'm thinking is save the ball. Save the ball. And he's about three quarters of the way down the driveway when I realize he ain't gonna get to the ball in time. And now I change from save the ball to stop, stop, and I'm yelling. And I'm not sure whether I'm yelling at him or yelling at the cars, but I want somebody to stop because this looks bad. I'd like to let you know that the ball successfully rolled across the street. And Tommy was in the back of the sanctuary today. So that story works out. Just fine. But I tell you that story because the idea of putting up a fence just seemed like intrusive to my life. Like it would would block me in from all the fun I want to have in life or whatever. But there was a moment when he was running down that, that, that driveway when I was thinking, man, that fence would have been a good idea. Maybe that wasn't such a bad idea after all. And I think most times when we think that the word of God is not actually good for us, that's because we're not in a good place to be deciding whether the word of God is good for us. But when we're right with the Father, when we open this book, we find encouragement joy, instruction, and the presence of God brings a little conviction at times. But we don't look at it as damning. We look at it as something that's intended to be really good for us. So one, grant others the opportunity to forgive. Two, let's be people of the light who understand that God's desire for us is really good, that his plan for us is best. Three, The issues that we face will seldom, if ever, be more important than the relationships that they surround. So when in doubt, let's choose relationship. Let me talk directly to those of you who are married and are hoping one day to be married. Please remember this. You will face issues in your relationship. I don't care how good it is today. You will face issues. By the way, I just said to Michelle, I said, hey, honey, how come every time I preach about marriage or divorce, you're not in a sanctuary? I said, the people are going to start to think things. And she was like, Ray, it's not me. It's him. All right. Well, I don't know what to do with that. But it, I promise, I promise, we're doing well. But you will face issues in every relationship you're in at some point. So let's choose right now to make the relationship the priority and not the issue. Four, after you've confessed and repented, then receive these words. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. If you're sitting all the way in the back, if you're sitting all the way in the front, if you can hear the sound of my voice, if you've confessed it to God, and repented of your sin. You've moved away from it. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Don't lash your back. You're forgiven. Don't feel the need to be subject to it again. You're forgiven. Don't run back into the same ways you were running because you're forgiven. Move away from it. And then fifth, No matter what else, follow the compass and not the clock. Follow the compass and not the clock. You can't look at it and say, this has got to be fixed in the next five minutes. You just got to look at it and say, God, I got to step forward to the next door you open. And that will allow me to make movement. A lot of times when folks are facing really hard times, and especially when folks have experienced something that would be tragic or traumatic in their life, they'll come in and they'll kind of be frozen. Like I can't go forward. I, I can't make move. I, I, can't, I can't take that next step. And they're just kind of stuck. And as uh, as a pastor, I imagine true for Crawford as well as a pastor and counselor, somebody comes to you and they're, and they're looking for you to give them directive like help me figure out how to get out of this stuck spot. The word I give you today is follow the compass and not the clock. The clock says I got to get there in 5 minutes. The compass says, "God, you set me up in this direction. I'm just going to keep walking." I'm going to keep walking. We sang that song, you know, and 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 man, there's so much power in the song that as Scott was leading the city, you know, and he talks about walking around these walls, and I thought by now they'd fall. Like I, I, in my timeline, this would be over. But what I know for certain is that God, you haven't failed me yet, even though the clock let me down, the compass is still on. You're still directing my steps. And so I'm going to be faithful to just say yes to the next step. And even if I'm still in a mess, I'm going to be faithful to saying yes to the next step. Some of you are going to go home today to the mess. I can't change that up here in the front. I can't change that up here in the front. Some of you are deep in it. I can't change that up here. The clock is failing you, but the compass will not. You've got to say yes to the next step the Lord puts in front of you. For a lot of you, for all of us, that step is in part going home today and applying this idea of forgiveness and grace and being renewed and saying yes to the purpose that God has for you. So friends, God's heart for marriage is once and forever forever. He displays that heart with the way he's wedded you. When he said yes to you, that was not contingent upon you anymore. That was all him. He said yes once and forever. Go home in the confidence that you can't lose that. Go home in the confidence that he's not taking his ring back. Go home in the confidence that he will still be there and all will eventually be well. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And if the world has let you down, or if you have let the world down, go home in this confidence. I can confess it. I can repent of it. And I can hear those three words. You are forgiven. Let's pray together. Father, during this time of worship, I want to invite us to stand to our feet and to sing aloud to you, God, to cry out in song. But I also want to recognize that some of us might be moved in such a way that, that we need to just do a little heart work with you. We need to just kind of just open the, 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 the depths of the of our heart, open up this, this, this exterior of our heart that's just been hardened off because of the, the, the weight of the world beating on it, God, or, or because of sin that's been in our life or because of you know, relationships that haven't gone right or, or because of past that we haven't been able to let go. For whatever reason, God, you just bring into our hearts and minds and to our attention some areas of our life that we just need to confess and repent and receive the promise of forgiveness. So God, before we jump to our feet, if we're not in that place, if, if we're in a place where we got hurt going on, that we just we need to do work with you. I I, I want to invite all of us to, to either sit where we are, and do that heart work, or to step out of our pews and move toward the back of the sanctuary and meet somebody back there to pray with them. And so if there's something going on, yeah. The, Maybe I just need to sit here. I don't. It's not something I need to talk with anybody else about. I just need to. I just need to be with God. I just need to sit in this space, right there on my pew. I'm not going to jump up. I'm not going to stand. I'm not going to raise my hands. I'm just going to. Just my heart and my posture will just be yielded in my seat. But if it's something I need someone to, to walk with me on, I need somebody else to, maybe I can't give words to it, I can't pray about it on my own, I, I need someone else to pray me through this, then I'm going to head to the back and I'm going to trust it. I'll meet somebody back there that'll pray with me and that'll, that'll encourage me to take that next step, to, to say yes to the compass and not to the clock, to, to be obedient to God, regardless of how broken our steps were in getting there. And there may be some of us here today and say, I've been working through this stuff and that stuff's behind me, and I'm just, I'm filled with joy and just ready to sing. And, and we're gonna allow our voices to, to carry the room. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna fill the space with our voice as worship to God. And, 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 and in many ways that will that'll hold our brothers and sisters up who might not be ready to sing so loud today. But God, I pray that we don't come just for show pray, God, that we came here today expecting and believing that you would do a great work. So we brought our gifts already. We've given them to you. We've heard the word that was preached, and we're trying to figure out how to apply that. We're trusting that you're going to do it. So we'll step into one of these three postures. We'll either move to our feet and worship you, God. We'll sit where we're at, and we'll just be in the stillness of where we are believing that, God, you're going to work this out. We'll move out of our pews, risky or not. We'll move out of our pews and we'll move to the back. And we'll have elders and friends who are back there ready to meet with you and pray. Friends, as your hearts are ready, I invite you, please, in any of those three ways, let's respond to the Lord. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org, and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.